right, good morning, St. Paul's. Uh, thank you again, Steve. Uh, hopefully you're all making your way over from that previous live stream to this one. Uh, just keep refreshing the page. You should be able to get it. Um, so welcome, believe it or not, to our sixth virtual service. This is our sixth Sunday doing things this way. And I want to reiterate something that I've said almost every week so far, which is that this is not ideal. Uh, we are made for embodied relationships. Uh, this is not the ideal way to do church, but thank God he works through non-ideal situations, right? That's part of the whole idea of the gospel, even though every one of us is non-ideal, imperfect human beings, uh, God still works through us, even though the church is not ideal, uh, God works through the church uh, God speaks through non-ideal situations, and uh, that's kind of part of the whole business that, that he is in, that is the gospel. So thank the Lord for that, uh, and I am praying and hoping that he will uh, use this non-ideal service this morning uh, to work in our hearts. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for this morning, and we thank you for uh, the the technology that enables us to gather uh, in this way. And Lord, right now, we just want to invite you uh, to work through this service. We invite you to work in our hearts, in our minds, uh, to uh, give us new insights into who you are and who you've created us to be. Um, illuminate spiritual truth for us, Lord. Encourage us. And most of all, Lord, may you be glorified. Uh, in everything that we do uh, through this service this morning. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I have noticed, uh, you probably have too, uh, that people like to announce good news on social media. And what they'll sometimes do is write hashtag bless. Uh, maybe you've done that at some time. The other day, I did a search on Twitter of posts that ended with the phrase hashtag blessed, and I found a lot. Here's some examples. I got an offer for my number one internship choice, and they aren't canceling their program. Hashtag blessed. Happy anniversary to the love of my life. 38 years strong. Hashtag blessed. I would like to thank the coaching staff at West Virginia University for offering me a scholarship. Hashtag blessed. I just moved into my dream house at 21. Hashtag blessed. I got into UC Berkeley. Hashtag blessed. Thank God I graduated before all this happened. Hashtag blessed. Now, in all these examples, People are pointing to something good in their life, something positive, right? Things going well, and then calling that blessed, an evidence of a blessing. That's usually why we call ourselves blessed, right? Because things are going well. You don't see people posting things like, lost my job today, hashtag blessed. Or, I am so exhausted and frustrated and struggling with depression, hashtag blessed. Or, I just got rejected from the last school that I applied to, hashtag blessed. People don't do that. And, you know, when we think about our country as a whole, it's the same thing. We associate when things are going well with blessing, right? 
Uh, people don't say, unemployment is the highest it's ever been in America, hashtag bless. You know, people will look at a thriving economy and then say, oh, we are so blessed. And the reason I bring all this up is because today we're going to look at a place in the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus uh, talks about what it looks like to be blessed. Uh, if you have a Bible, I encourage you to turn to Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 1. And what this is, is the beginning of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. You might be familiar with the Sermon on the Mount. Many people uh, consider it to be uh, the uh, crux of Jesus' ethical teaching. And Jesus begins that ethical teaching with a statement, or several statements, about what it looks like to be blessed. And these are called the Beatitudes. There's eight Beatitudes. Uh, this week we're going to look at the first four. And next week, we'll look at the last four. So, let's read Matthew 5, 1 through 6. Now, when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. So notice a trend so far. Jesus doesn't seem to associate blessing uh, the way we do in our hashtag blessed social media posts. He seems to have a different idea of what blessing looks like. He doesn't say, gather around, my disciples. Let me tell you what true blessing looks like. Blessed are you when you get accepted into the college, your number one choice for a college, for you are smart and well-rounded. Blessed are you when you find romantic love, for you will live happily ever after. Blessed are you when you are healthy and fit and beautiful, for you will never age or die. Blessed are you when you have lots and lots of money, because you will have everything you could ever want. Right? Jesus doesn't talk like that. In fact, what he's saying sounds like the opposite of that. The Beatitudes are the opposite of what we normally think of when we think of blessedness. Especially those first two. Let's look at those uh, more closely. Blessed are the poor in spirit, and blessed are those who mourn. Now, what is Jesus saying here? Well, first, we need to think a little bit about this word blessed and what exactly uh, that word blessed means. Usually, when we use the word blessed, it's almost interchangeable uh, with the word fortunate, right? We're just saying, I'm fortunate. Um, but we mean something a little bit different than just I'm lucky. Right? The word blessed has these religious connotations, right? So it's kind of a way of, of giving God credit for our good fortune, right? Uh, so the word blessed is like a shorthand way of saying, God's been good to me. God is on my side. I have God's favor. He's working things out so that things in my life are running smoothly. Things are going well, right? But that leads to the question, what about when things aren't going well? What about when you don't 
get accepted into the college that you wanted? What about when a pandemic hits and you're not sure what's going to happen and you're nervous about that? You know, what about if your spouse abandons you or if you lose your job or your retirement fund just disappears because the economy collapses? Are you still blessed? Meaning, is God still with you? Is his favor still on you? Does he still love you? Does he still care about you? And what the first two Beatitudes tell us is, yes, absolutely. You know, just like today, back in Jesus' day, people associated God's blessing with health and wealth, prosperity in your life. If you were healthy, if you were wealthy, then that meant that God was with you, God liked you, God was on your side. But Jesus kicks off the Sermon on the Mount by basically saying, God is with the people who have been let down and disappointed in life. God is with the poor people. God is with the people who don't seem fortunate at all from our perspective. God is with the people who are grieving, who are mourning, who are feeling like the things important to them in their lives have been lost, irretrievably lost. God is with the people who are victims of injustice, the people who didn't get into their college that they wanted to get into, right? The people who uh, were supposed to graduate the year that the coronavirus hit. God is with them, too. The kingdom of heaven is available to them. So the first thing that I want us to hear in the Beatitudes is Jesus saying, God loves you and is with you even when life is rough. God loves you and is with you even when life is rough. But I think there's more for us to learn from those first two Beatitudes than just that. Uh, Jesus isn't just saying that God is with us even when things get rough. He's also saying that there is something valuable about the experience of life being rough. There's something valuable uh, about the experience of being poor in spirit, which, by the way, I didn't clarify this, but what it means to be poor in spirit is to be depleted, to feel like you have nothing left to give. Um, I like the way that Eugene Peterson translates this beatitude in his paraphrase of the Bible, The Message. Uh, he, he says, blessed are those who have come to the end of their rope. Okay, so that's what it means to be poor in spirit, to have nothing left to give, to know that you can't do it on your own, to be spent. Okay, that's poor in spirit. And Jesus is also saying that there is something valuable about the experience of mourning, about the experience of grief and loss. Now, what is it that's valuable about these things? What could it possibly be? Well, Jesus doesn't clearly tell us, but I think we can figure it out. These kinds of experiences, these experiences of being poor in spirit, mourning, being at the end of our ropes, grieving, what do these experiences do? These experiences humble us, right? You cannot be arrogant and poor in spirit at the same time. That doesn't work. You know, when you're depleted, when you've come to the end of your rope, when you realize that health and wealth are not guaranteed in life, despite your best efforts, when you come to that realization, you realize that you need God, right? You realize that you need to put your hope in something that transcends the kingdom of this world, 
You need to put your hope in the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Some people live their entire lives under the illusion that they can be self-sufficient, that all they really need for satisfaction in this world is their own intelligence, their own morals, their own skills. But that's a delusion. And Jesus is saying that the kingdom of heaven doesn't belong to those people who think that they can just get by on their own strength. It doesn't belong to those people who think, you know, I'm not that messed up. It belongs to the people who know they're messed up. Because we're all messed up, right? And the kingdom of heaven belongs to the people who are humble enough that they recognize that. Okay, let's move on to the third beatitude. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. God is with, his favor is on the meek. Now, what does it mean to be meek? I think when we hear that word today, it has a bunch of connotations that Jesus doesn't really intend here. Uh, when I hear the word meek, I think of someone who's very sheepish. You know, somebody who is uh, nervous, uh, has low self-esteem, someone who you talk to and they don't look you in the eye, maybe they're always looking down at their shoes. And is that what Jesus means by meek? Well, no, that's, that's not what it means to be meek. What it means to be meek is to be gentle, and specifically, to be nonviolent. Blessed are the nonviolent. The Greek word that gets translated here as meek, it only appears two other times in the New Testament. And one of those other times is from a passage in the Gospel of Matthew that we looked at just two weeks ago, uh, the story of Palm Sunday, when Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. Uh, it says, see, your king comes to you, gentle or meek, and riding on a donkey. There's that same word translated as gentle. Now, hopefully you remember from two weeks ago why it was significant that Jesus rode in on a donkey and why gentleness or nonviolence is associated with riding in on a donkey, right? Because if Jesus was planning on being a military hero, the kind of person who was going to conquer through force and violence, he wouldn't have ridden in on a donkey. It would have been traditional for him to ride in on a horse, a big horse. But Jesus instead chooses to ride in on a donkey, and that was very significant because the people wanted a Jewish king to come, a Messiah, who would set things right with the world by leading a violent uprising against Rome, and not being meek, not being gentle, but by being a conqueror, right? By using force to get things done. But instead, Jesus came gentle, he came meek, riding on a donkey. Uh, he proclaimed uh, that he was going to get things done in a way different than the people expected. So that's what it means to be meek. Jesus riding in on a donkey, not on a war horse. It's not to lack confidence. I mean, Jesus had confidence in spades, right? If you, if you read the Gospels, you can see that. He's a confident man, okay? And, and it's, it's not to be a pushover. Jesus wasn't a pushover, right? Jesus resisted evil in the most effective ways possible. 
But to be meek does mean to be nonviolent. Jesus was nonviolent. He was gentle. And Jesus says that the meek will do what? The meek will inherit the earth. Think about that. That's like saying the meek will take over the world. They will conquer the world. That's an incredible statement. In Jesus' time, the Roman Empire had pretty much inherited the earth, at least from the perspective of anyone in Jerusalem. Okay, the Roman Empire, they have conquered the world. And the way that they did that was not by being meek. It was not by being gentle. It was through military strength, through violence, through power, through force, through doing things like crucifying their enemies, you know, like they do to Jesus. And here Jesus is saying, although it looks like the violent ones are the ones who will win in the end, although it looks like they're the ones who are going to rule over the earth, the reality is that in the heavenly kingdom, the ones who will rule are the nonviolent ones. The nonviolent ones are the ones who inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek. The way of Rome is not going to win in the end. We have to ask ourselves, do we in the church really believe that? Do we believe that the ones whom God is really with are the ones who are, who are nonviolent? They are the ones who will inherit the earth. They are the ones who will conquer. Do we really believe that? Or deep down, do we really think the ones who will inherit the earth are the ones who can build the biggest bombs and strike preemptively and all that kind of thing? Jesus wants us to believe that it is the meek who are truly blessed. Now, even though nonviolence is what I think Jesus primarily had in mind when he used this word meek, um, I do think he's also reminded it, reminding us that there is blessedness in having gentleness of speech and demeanor. Um, there is a blessedness and carrying ourselves in a non-hostile, non-aggressive way. During this time, you may have noticed, during this period of the pandemic, uh, a lot of people are arguing over a lot of things, especially on Facebook and Twitter and that sort of thing. That's where arguments are always taking place. But people are arguing a lot right now. They're arguing about things like, is this pandemic really as serious as people are saying? They're arguing about whether or not the government has handled this well. Uh, they're arguing about when the economy should reopen, what's wise there. They're even arguing over things like treatments and what's best in that respect, even though many of them are not doctors. <laughs> you know, people are arguing about these things. People have passionate opinions. And often when they express those opinions, they're hostile. They're aggressive. Now, there is nothing wrong with having a strong view, especially if you believe that view is backed by facts and evidence. There's nothing wrong with that. And there's nothing wrong with trying to persuade people of that view. In fact, if you believe that there are significant negative consequences to people not having your view, you, you, don't, you kind of have a moral obligation to try and persuade people of that view. Okay, But that doesn't mean you can't be meek as you do it. You know, I've noticed, for some reason, we are very quick to abandon meekness when we feel strongly about something. You know, just this week, someone disagreed with me, and they said, enjoy your brainwashed ignorance. 
And that's not necessary, right? It's not necessary for me to talk that way to him or him to me, no matter how much we disagree. It doesn't accomplish anything. And if we really believe that the meek will inherit the earth, we're not going to talk like that, right? We need to believe, blessed are the meek, the gentle, right? All right, let's look at one more beatitude. The fourth one, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Now, I imagine that some of us hear that, and what we hear is, blessed are the good people. You know, blessed are the upright, the just. All right, that's good. Let's move on. Next one. But let's notice, Jesus doesn't say, blessed are the righteous. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. There's a big difference there. That's like the difference between saying, uh, blessed are those who have food, and blessed are those who really want food, okay? Big difference there. If you are hungering and thirsting for righteousness, there's an implication there that you don't have it. You are longing for something that you don't have. So let's be clear about what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, blessed are those who are not righteous, but who long to be. Blessed are those who are not righteous, but who long to be. And I don't know about you, but I'm really glad that that is what Jesus said, instead of blessed are the righteous. Because if we are honest, none of us are righteous, right? All of us have a problem with sin. If you've lived long enough, chances are some night you have had trouble sleeping because you've been thinking about something that you did where you thought, that was wrong, I shouldn't have done that. Right? All of us have done wrong. All of us have messed up. And if righteousness is the requirement for entering the kingdom, all of us are in trouble. Now, you might hear that and you might think, well, nah, I'm pretty righteous. I don't know what you're talking about. Maybe you're not that righteous, but, you know, I generally, I do the right thing. I, I'm a righteous person. But if you're thinking that, let me remind you of that first beatitude again. Blessed are the poor in spirit, right? Blessed are those who come to the end of their rope and realize that they can't do it on their own. Blessed are the humble. Blessed are the people who recognize that their righteousness is not sufficient if they are the ones who are trying to earn it. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. If we are poor in spirit, we will also realize that in our own power, we are not righteous. And so rather than feeling satisfied that we are righteous, we will hunger and thirst for righteousness. And that is what is blessed. Now you might wonder, okay, what does it look like to hunger and thirst for righteousness? Well, there's at least three ways that we can understand that word righteousness. Righteousness kind of has a big semantic field as a word, and I think that Jesus has all three of these meanings in mind. So, first, righteousness means to do what is right in God's eyes. Not in our eyes, but in God's eyes. That's what it means to be righteous, and so if we are longing to do what is right in God's eyes, that is a state of blessedness. Okay? Um, God is not with those who just don't care at all about what's right and wrong. They're just totally indifferent, right? God is with those who long to do the right thing. doesn't mean they always do, 
but they long to. Uh, second, righteousness is another word for justice. So to hunger and thirst for righteousness is to long for a world that is a just world, a world where things are the way they're supposed to be, a world where there isn't disease and school shootings and murders and racism and all that stuff. If you felt a deep longing in your heart for the world to be different than the way it is, either because you're observing the suffering and pain of other people or you're experiencing injustice yourself, then you are hungering and thirsting for righteousness, right? And then another uh, way that we can think about righteousness, another sense in which um, that word, uh, another meaning of that word is right standing with God. So basically, uh, to be righteous is to be in right relationship to God. When we're longing for righteousness in respect to our relationship with God, we're longing for God's acceptance. We're longing for his embrace. We're longing for him to love us and, um, and, and embrace us. So to, long, to hunger and thirst for righteousness is to long for a close relationship with God. And Jesus says that if we're longing for those things, to do what's right, for justice, and for a close relationship with God, guess what? You're going to be satisfied. You're going to be filled. You're going to be like a person who's just starving for a meal, and then you get a banquet. That's what he's saying. Now, why is that? Why would Jesus say you will be filled if you're longing for those things? He says that because those are the things that Jesus came to bring us. Right? Jesus has come to remove the barrier between us and God by dying on a cross for our sins. So now that close relationship with God that we long for, we, that is open to us, that is available to us. There is no, no barrier anymore. We can have confidence that God accepts and loves us and embraces us because God came from heaven to earth, from glory to dying on a cross. You can have confidence. God wants that close relationship with you. He accepts you. He loves you. What we could not earn, God has provided for us. We can't earn righteousness. We can't earn right standing with God. But God gives us that righteousness. Jesus also came to bring justice to the world. Now, when we look at the world right now, we can see there's a lot of injustice, right? So you might be wondering, where is that justice? Well, as we were studying in the book of Revelation before this all happened, Justice is going to come, right? That is a promise. That is part of the message of the gospel, that Jesus is going to return, and he is going to set things right with the world, right? So that longing for justice, that's a really good thing, because eventually that will be satisfied. If you're longing for a world of injustice where you get to be greedy, right? Well, that's not a good thing, because eventually that desire will not be satisfied. But if you long for a just world, eventually it's going to come. And then if you long to do what's right, well, that's good too, right? Because God's everlasting kingdom is going to be a place where you will be made right and you will do what is right as well. So when you think about it that way, to hunger and thirst for righteousness is to hunger and thirst for the inevitable future that God is bringing, right? And that's the only longing that can be fulfilled. Okay, so let's finish with a real quick review. In this pandemic, 
we might feel like we've lost the blessing of God or that we're losing the blessing of God, that his, his favor is, is, is withdrawing from us. But the Beatitudes should be reassuring to us right now. God is with those who are tired and at the end of their rope. God is with those who are humble. God is with those who are sad and grieving and mourning the loss of something that is dear to them. God is with the sick. God is with the poor. God is with those who have lost their income. Okay? God is with those of us who are longing for a better world, the world that is set free from disease. And God is with those who long for a closer walk with him. Blessed are the people who are in all those situations. And when you think of it that way, we may be more blessed now than we ever have been. Amen? Amen.